we're talking about my friend Stephanie and the false story the group of plotters and rivals we've been discussing fed to a media outlet with ulterior motives and trashed Steph's own legacy and her own reputation in the process. It's really an incredibly tragic situation all around. The head plotter fed a false story to the medical medium community years ago, filled with misinformation that I did not tell Steph to go to a doctor for her breast lump until it was too late. And how Steph was a follower of medical medium to the letter and followed medical medium advice more closely than Anthony himself, me. As the years went by, I took the hits from Steph's death. I reserved and preserved information and facts out of respect for Steph's memory and the family. But it's too late. They pulled the trigger and released another false story that this time was fed to the mainstream media. And now it's time for the real story to break. Get ready for the details that no one knows. Keep steady. This isn't gonna be easy. It's time for the painful truth. I am honored to have Amber Visakara with me today. She has thoroughly reviewed mounds of data and factual evidence. If you haven't heard the past few podcast episodes, you might wanna take some time out to listen and catch yourself up so that you have more context to the backstory and the ulterior motives that brought us here today. All of this began with the number one plotter who put out a really inflammatory false storyline about a deceased woman named Stephanie three years ago. She hurt a lot of people with her misinformation. This led to rumors and false narratives that have circulated amongst health communities since. Here are some of her main falsities and misinformation. So I wish, I wish when she was staying with us and she first found that she had a lump in her breast, I wish I had said to her, go get that checked. You definitely need to go get that checked. I mean, that's a big regret of mine. Like, why didn't I say that? Um, but she was so sure, you know, Anthony said, this isn't going to turn into anything. I'm not worried about it. And honestly, she was so incorrect. Stephanie did not have a lump in her breast at that time. But basically, she found that lump in her breast at least a year and a half before she died. That's when she was living with us. Incorrect. Steph did not find the breast lump until a year later in March 2017. The media outlet actually got that right in the article. And if he did, and he told her at some point that this was never going to be cancerous, to me, that's pretty evil. Right? Like... It's one thing to know information about somebody and it's another to like lead them in completely the wrong direction, right? I'm referring to like when he told Steph like the lump in her breast was never going to turn cancerous. Incorrect. I did not tell Steph the lump in her breast would not become cancerous. And in fact, even the media outlet did not publish that because they knew it was false. That time Steph was just so bad. And I think Anthony had started telling people, I told her to go see a doctor. 
you know, because he did at the very end. This is incorrect. As you will learn in this episode, I told Steph to see a doctor at the beginning, the middle, and the end at all times, and not just at the end. So I think that they maybe dismiss a lot of what happened because like, well, Anthony told her to go see a doctor, but it's like, that's not what really happened. Yeah, that one's hard for me. I am such a truth teller. Like, honestly, to be able to like manipulate things like that just gets me fired up. This is incorrect. I did tell Steph to see a doctor over and over and over again. I think that's possible. I do think it's possible. Um, I still think even if that's the case, the situation was like really mishandled. Um, And I still come back to him not being accurate about a year and a half before that when he didn't tell her to go see a doctor. Um, Something that people have said is that Anthony always says to go see a doctor, go see a doctor. But in his actual interpersonal relationships, he's not, that's not always the case. He's not like that. That's more of a liability thing in his writing. Um, And so with Steph, he did not say that originally. And that's hard for me. This is incorrect. I do tell the closest people in my life to see a doctor. My advice always incorporates medical treatment and advice. And I originally told Steph to see a doctor in the beginning. We are going to further unpack these falsities as well as others throughout this episode. It's telling that this woman deleted this story from her website and social media because it was false. She deleted her entire Instagram and DM history and all evidence of her false storyline as and her recruitment tactics even after she was told to preserve it at the time. Then she became the number one plotter, instigated by the number two plotter, and took this false storyline to a mainstream media outlet with ulterior motives of a step-by-step plan to create a post-medical medium era. She attempted to get away with it that way, with the backing of a media company hungry for clicks and views, trying to hide behind anonymity so she couldn't be held accountable for falsities, and with the support of other plotters that they rallied and got to contribute anonymously as well. Through the recordings that I legally obtained, which you'll hear more of today, I uncovered the identity of the main anonymous sources for this article and the information in it. This woman, the number one plotter, has indoctrinated many people in the medical medium community into believing her false storyline about Stephanie. She has spent a lot of time soliciting many via DM on social media as well, including me at one point by saying, quote, Anthony is a liar and a fraud. And she told me to, quote, please don't mention this to Anthony. And she is still trying to indoctrinate people using fake accounts and other tactics that we have proof of being linked to her phone number to this day. The article that the plotters had been working towards was published a few days ago. It's a negative article for sure. It makes many false claims about AW for sure. It didn't end up being what the sources had hoped for, however, 
which was an article that falsely accused Anthony of killing Steph because the media company had to consider the facts. As part of the process with this article, the media company asked hundreds of questions of AW. Many questions that were asked of Anthony were in line with the number one plotter's original false story that we had seen from her post online years ago and who is clearly a major source for the article under the pseudonym Sarah. The article was due to be published earlier this year. The delay in publication occurred because Anthony's team was presenting facts to the media company that we believe changed the outcome of the original story to a certain extent. But the story that was published recently still left out key facts and text messages. It was still false in a lot of ways. Many texts and voice messages were taken out of context and cherry-picked from Stephanie's phone. Some texts were even falsely quoted. What was published was severely lacking in most of the actual story, and as many commenters have pointed out, was severely lacking in substance at all. The journalist's article still tried to paint a false narrative of a cult and a devotee. The media company stated in the article that, quote, through his counsel, William declined repeated requests to comment on the record for this story. Now, this is incorrect. I was promised in a recorded meeting that the media company would let us know if they were going to publish the story so I could leave a comment on the record because it was still a potential story. They broke their promise and they published this article without telling me or giving me an opportunity to respond. Today, we are going to unpack these falsities, share what was left out of the story, and share what actually happened. We are going to start by explaining why Stephanie has not been discussed previously. And that is because explaining the full truth that was left out of the plotter's story and left out of the article because it did not suit the narrative that they were trying to paint, and unpacking and untwisting all of the misinformation and false rumors that have been spread about Stephanie over the years involves the private, personal, and medical information of a deceased woman. I wanted to protect her name and out of respect for her family, but now that the plotters have exploited her, I have a responsibility to defend the truth and the medical meme community that is being harassed and targeted with this. I have an obligation to make sure that the chronically ill people in our community know what really happened so that they can protect themselves from this attack and this hit piece and the people who have manipulated the story about Stephanie. Next, I would like to play a telegram recording from February 28th of this year. And if it seems like I'm being silent about something, it doesn't mean I'm not going to talk about it when the time is right. If you have listened to the previous episodes, then you know where I come in and why I am here. At the time of the recordings that I obtained legally, I knew enough to know that what I was hearing from the plotters wasn't true. Since all of this has transpired, I have studied the story extensively. I have studied the data that was recently pre presented to me, and I have studied the article, and I'm going to help present the evidence today. First, we want to explain more about who Stephanie was. Stephanie started her health journey in 2001 due to cancer in the family. 
This is Stephanie Tassone. How are Hi. you? Hi. Hi. <laughs> Vibrant light. That's what you are. Tell me, Stephanie, how long have you been raw? It's been about seven and a half years, a little over than that, almost eight years that yeah. I've been following a raw food diet. And it's been just over three years that I read 801010 and knew that that was like the missing link. Well, I initially, I was interested in health from when we figured it out, what was it, like 11 years ago or something, mm -hmm. 12 years ago, um, 12 years ago, I guess. Initially, it was just cancer in the family and wanted to better my lifestyle and just take care of myself the best I can and not worry and go in that direction. It led me to finding a book on raw food, and it was like a duh moment. Like I was like, okay, well, I got to do this. It makes sense. And then, yeah, from then on, it was... Posts that were made to Stephanie's Instagram show that she went raw vegan in 2005. She has a post saying, quote, celebration, it's been 10 years since I discovered raw foods and decided to let go of all animal products in my diet. Eight years later, in 2013, Stephanie connected with AW over the phone. Stephanie was always doing her own thing health-wise. She was not exclusively applying medical medium information, which contradicts the very premise, even down to the title, of the article. The title is completely misleading because it implies that Stephanie was the ultimate devotee and the ultimate follower of medical medium information when that is just not the truth. We are going to share a few key pieces of evidence to demonstrate this. In multiple posts on Instagram and audio messages, Stephanie shared about her experience with doing multiple extended grape fasts in 2015, which was long after meeting AW. Here is an audio from her from 2017. Um, grapes. Oh my God. I told you I did a 40 day grape fast, right? Like two years ago. And in like days, I was like losing so much weight. I was just eating so many grapes. It was like unbelievable what was happening. In this next clip, Stephanie explains that she knows AW wasn't a big supporter of the grape fasting. She wasn't eating greens and that she wasn't doing celery juice. Let me tell you, I would love to do the great fast again. I love, like, when you only eat one or two things. It's just so easy. You know, it's like, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, okay, yeah, I like more grapes. Uh, you know, people always have that attitude when they talk about it. But really, I knew deep down, I knew Anthony really didn't want me doing it. I remember we would talk about it while I was doing it. And he never came out and told me not to because, I mean, let's get real. Like, there's bigger shit to worry about, especially when you're Anthony, you know? <laughs> Uh, so he's not going to waste any time, like, trying to convince me not to do something that he knew I was, like, hooked on or dedicated to, you know? Uh, but later after that, but I knew, like, I wasn't eating any greens. I wasn't eating celery or celery juice. I was having lemons when I would grape, when I would make the juice. If I didn't like eating them, I would make, like, grape lemon juice. In Steph's words, I wasn't pushing or demanding Steph to do medical medium. And she wasn't. Grape cleanses are not medical medium. We have evidence of another Instagram post from 2015 with a photo of cases of grapes saying, quote, this was a weekly occurrence for 40 days. Yes, that's right. 40 beautiful unfolding days on grapes. Everyone said I'd be tired of grapes, but I actually had went back to them since for 17 days with the addition of some fresh squeezed OJ to join it. Stephanie is saying that she did a 40-day grape fast, 
and followed that by another 17 days of grape fasting with the addition of orange juice. We also have evidence of five other posts where Stephanie is doing several other grape-only fasts that same very year. Furthermore, the plotter's article referenced that by Stephanie's own account, quote, it's difficult to get a full picture of the advice she followed. The article also admitted that, quote, for dinner, she sometimes ate two heads of romaine lettuce with cayenne and lemon. The number one plotter also wrote about this in her original blog post saying, quote, I'll never forget watching Steph eat two heads of romaine lettuce with cayenne pepper and lemon on it for dinner. A neighbor went to the movies with Stephanie and recollected that she brought a plain bag of lettuce with her. Stephanie was also big on long-term water fasts and coconut water fasts. We have an Instagram post where she says, quote, day seven on coconut water, so much gratitude dropping in so closely with Mother Earth. The next two examples are about celery juice. On September 12th of 2015, over two years after connecting with AW, Stephanie made an Instagram post that says, quote, smooth sailing back into my morning routine, beginning the day with sweet, salty, healing celery juice. Added spinach and lime for an extra healing bonus. In an August 2015 post, Stephanie says, quote, straight up celery juice, also love adding lemon. These are just a few examples we are highlighting out of care and concern for the medical medium community to clear up rumors and misinformation that Stephanie did medical medium to the letter. Grape fasting is not a medical medium recommendation. AW has specifically recommended against grape fasting. AW has never told anyone to eat only lettuce, cayenne pepper, and lemon for a meal because it is not enough calories to sustain oneself. AW recommends against long-term water fasting and against fasting on coconut water only. One of the most prolific medical medium recommendations is that you do not add anything to your celery juice. I would never judge Steph for what she was doing. I would always let her do her own thing, but what she was doing was not medical medium information, and that's okay. That's just how Steph was. The article and the plotters got this wrong. Steph was, she'd be like, you know, the model medical medium follower, I guess, being that she did everything to the extreme that he said. According to the evidence, Stephanie was obsessed with health. She was the type of person to constantly be talking about and asking everyone about her health. She communicated personally with numerous well-known health experts that each had different health beliefs and recommendations. She followed many different people and many different things. There is a narrative that has been perpetuated to make it seem like Steph worked with me for years closely and continuously for years. This is incorrect. She always had financial struggles, so I offered her some work for two short periods. One 10-day position in 2014 and one two-week position in 2017, in which I only saw her for one hour at the end of it. During the course of that 10-day position in 2014, Stephanie vomited and had migraines, which we have proof that she suffered from since childhood. 
we have a text from Stephanie2AW that reads, quote, you know what I'm craving from like 10 years ago? I know it's not ideal at this point, but seriously, outstanding flavor. Back in the day when I got a migraine where I, d- I knew that if I didn't eat something fast, I'd throw up, my mom or dad would rush to Whole Foods for me for these. This is important for us to highlight because the main number one plotter's claim was that Stephanie was the healthiest person she had ever known. And in reality, Stephanie had some pre-existing symptoms and conditions for most of her life. One of the implications that the number one plotter also made on her original story was that Stephanie was the healthiest person she had ever known and then medical medium essentially caused problems. But in reality, as you can see, this wasn't true. Now that we have covered some of Stephanie's background, we are going to explain the story, which sort of begins on March 6th of 2017. This is when Stephanie first discovered her breast lump. She texted Anthony's wife about it, saying, quote, sorry about all my messages. I've been aware of that and don't want to overstep any boundaries. I'm assuming this isn't anything to be worried about and probably just detox related. I noticed a pretty large lump in my left breast today, right below and to the right of the nipple. And Anthony's wife replied saying, quote, Breast lumps can be lymph or node related if you're detoxing during your cycle or under the weather, but you should always have it looked at by your physician. Thermography scans are okay to get to if needed. Stephanie replies, thanks. Yes, feels like detox and I will do that and observe it over the next week or two. I've done thermography in the past, so I am familiar with that. So I'll just keep an eye on it. We told Stephanie you should always have it looked at by your physician. And always means always. And not just a physician, but your physician. Stephanie replied, I will do that and observe it. This was Stephanie confirming she will go to her physician. We also need to point out a timeline discrepancy. The number one plotter in her original story said that said that Stephanie's breast lump was discovered in 2016 when Steph was living with her. But the records show that the lump came in 2017. This is the excerpt from the number one plotter's blog post. It says, quote, at the time that she was living with us, Steph had recently found a small lump in her breast. She wasn't concerned though. The March 6th, 2017 text from Stephanie to AW's wife makes it clear that the first time Stephanie discovered her breast lump was in March of 2017. The text says today she discovered the lump. Today, March 6, 2017, not a year earlier in 2016, when momentarily she was staying nights with the plotter. We have multiple accounts and factual evidence validating that it was March 6 of 2017 that Steph found her breast lump. In late March and early April of 2017, Stephanie was hired to help A.W. and his wife receive deliveries and let people in to set up water, Wi-Fi, and other things at their new home. The article and the plotter's stories misrepresent my work situation with Stephanie, so I would like to clarify. Stephanie was only there a couple of weeks and wasn't working the whole time. The job she had 
left her with a lot of free time on her hands. Stephanie was at the beach. She was going to see the movies. She was taking walks in the park. She was going to the farmer's market for herself. She was sunbathing and enjoying clean air. Stephanie was never a full-time assistant either. We gave Stephanie the temporary work to help her financially because Stephanie said she was financially struggling. A.W. and his wife were clear even before the move and tried to set a boundary that they wouldn't be able to answer health questions because of what was going on. The article stated and supports this. Here is the direct text. It says, quote, I wanted to give you a heads up that Aunt and I won't be able to answer health questions, health-related questions for the next month or so. All our energy will need to be on this move, so we will be out of commission in that sense until we have everything settled in, hopefully by the end of April or early May. What happened was we lost our house to a fire, lost almost everything we owned, lost pets, and I was badly injured, and I needed to take time to recover. Here's a recording from Stephanie. So I guess it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago now. I don't know how long ago, but somewhere around that. It was on, I think it was like a Thursday night. They were in, like, before the sun went down, they were in the house. Wait, let me just read what you just kept saying. They had a scare and he was filming in. Yeah, it was really scary. Like, they almost died. Like, bad shit going on. Like, they're, they were in the house, and the sun had already pretty much gone down, but it was still light out. And it was really bright in the house, and Rachel noticed it and said, Anthony, doesn't it? Why is it, like, it's really bright in here with the sun already went down? It's weird, right? And, you know, he, like, kind of perked up and was like, pay attention to what was going on and walked over to the door and looked outside and was like, holy shit, like, we have flames encompassing our house. It was, like, all in the yard around his house. Because apparently the farm that's close to them down the road was burning, and a little, like, piece of a flame, what is it called? Like, a little, I don't know, whatever that little things that float in the air, a little ember or whatever, was floating and probably just landed in their yard and the whole thing was in flames. And if they did not notice when they did, if it was 20 more minutes or 15 minutes had gone by, they would the whole house would have gone off in flames and they would have died. I mean, they ended up, I guess, like smoke was probably coming in, I think, because they ended up, unless they, they put their masks on to run out of the house, get the dogs out of the house, and ended up like, the cops um, were in the area, I guess. And God, the whole thing was so freaking scary. I feel like I can't even tell the story right. I'm probably missing pieces already. I was actually asleep on the couch, and SOC woke me up when it happened. The house was filling up with smoke fast, and all of the bushes up against the house were on fire. When running out of the house, we had to run through flames, bushes that were engulfed in fire, where I sustained lung damage from breathing in a flame. My eyes were also injured too and damaged. My wife was injured as well. And so were our dogs. Despite all of that and the boundary that was set, Stephanie continued to ask health questions. On the day that A.W. and his wife saw Stephanie briefly before she headed back home, she was asking some health questions, and A.W. and his wife both asked Stephanie if she had seen a doctor for the breast lump. 
and we were adamant about it, we were highly concerned. We asked her if she was seeing her doctor for her breast lump, and Stephanie promised. She said, yeah, yeah, I got it covered. You guys don't have to worry. Back in March, Stephanie said that she had gotten thermography in the past. A.W. and his wife were under the impression that Stephanie was getting scans and had a doctor overseeing her breast health. And Stephanie said she would see a physician for her breast lump. Then, around May, June of 2017, Stephanie got an injury from yoga and Pilates. She was doing a two-hour session of Pilates and two hours of yoga on the same day for a week or more, which she had never done before. Stephanie texted A.W.'s wife on July 10th of 2017 and said, quote, hurt my back pretty bad, so that's been terrible, but all is good otherwise. And we have this recording of a plotter highlighting the injury as well. And, um, anyway, she, I don't know, she went to do a yoga class or something, she came back, and she said, oh, I, don't, I hurt my back, go to yoga class, Taylor. We just heard about this injury directly from Stephanie's best friend, business partner, and someone who ended up being her caretaker. In the number one plotter's original story, Stephanie supposedly never injured her back, and supposedly Stephanie told the number one plotter that she didn't remember hurting her back in yoga. The number one plotter had said, quote, in the spring of 2017, her back began to ache. We talked a little bit during her back injury, she told me Anthony said it was a yoga injury. I really don't remember hurting it in yoga, she said. I never said it was a yoga injury. It was Stephanie that said it was an injury from Pilates and yoga. This number one plotter wrongly blamed A.W. and did not know about the Pilates. The journalist did not know about the Pilates. There was no mention of Pilates or yoga in the article. They left this out because it would not suit their narrative. In June, I had a phone call with Steph where she tells me that she injured her back doing two hours of Pilates and two hours of yoga on the same day. I told her that she should see a doctor. I said she can even go to the hospital or urgent care to get an MRI or x-ray. Stephanie told me at the same time that time that she was really fearful of going to the hospital and how her family would handle it. Next, we are going to play a recording of Stephanie's plotting caretaker corroborating this. She didn't want her family to know anything was wrong because then they'd take her to the hospital and get him an MRI. Can we play that again? She didn't want her family to know anything was wrong because then they'd take her to the hospital and get him an MRI. Between early June and July 12th, Stephanie saw a doctor for her back two times. A.W. was the one who told her to see a doctor for her back. We have a text corroborating this in which Stephanie says to A.W.'s wife, quote, Yes, he is pretty good, basic guy, but very honest and I trust him. I've gone to him a handful of times over past few years and always helped me already twice since this happened, but not since it's gotten unbearable. Next is a recording of Stephanie in late July telling somebody that she went to the doctor already twice, and she's explaining the details of her injury. Hi. Well, I hurt my back in the beginning of June. I, you know, I hadn't been doing yoga for a while or Pilates, and I ended up just by fluke coincidence. I ended up doing them both in the same week, 
and by the end of that week, my lower back felt kind of weird. Um, weird enough where literally it was hurting to go on the rebounder, so I kind of had to stop that. Uh, and then I went to the chiropractor, and everything was better, like a day later. But I only waited like a few days to start exercising again. You know, I started like light. You know, I just went on the rebounder for the first couple of days and walked and did pocket gym. But then after a few days, I was back into yoga fully. You know, I was like doing yoga every day and Pilates every day or almost every day. Um, and I was just feeling so good. And I just like wanted to do all these things. And it was so stupid in hindsight. I'm like, what am I thinking? You know, we know better than to do that. Um, just too much at once like that, especially since I hadn't been doing it. I mean, I felt fine doing it. I felt I got right back into it. I was doing like intense stuff and it was like great, but clearly my body wasn't right, ready there. And so I went to the chiropractor again, but then it never, it got a little bit better, but then I was carrying all these heavy watermelons, which were killing me. But like I was hanging out with Gretchen and Kim and like when I went up there, I just brought all these watermelons, like seeded huge watermelons and it just from there it got worse and worse and I was with Gretchen for like almost a week when I came home at the beginning of I guess I came home the 4th of July it got it was like horrendous like it got really bad and excruciating like super super bad like crazy spasming and nerves like shooting pains like and literally I've been home doing nothing for the whole month of July and it's been obviously stressful because financially like literally like i i don't have like a savings like i just have had enough money to keep me going for almost three weeks and that was it so and i wasn't able to work so i was just stressed out about bills that i have again this is stephanie saying in her own words that she injured her back doing yoga and pilates and that she visited the doctor twice already for it at this point yet the main sources the plotters who planted the story for the article clearly aren't aware of these facts. I think it was when it got really bad, like maybe three weeks or four weeks after she had initially injured it, that's when she like sent the first message of like, hey, this is really bad. I'm in a lot of pain. I don't know what's going on here. And I think he called her because from their phone records, her like next text to him was like, thank you so much for talking with me. Like I feel a lot better. And um she kind of like was basically referencing that they had just talked so then they start like in their text messages they start like referencing the disc mm -hmm. and so they keep referring to this back thing as like the disc that's out so we think that when they had that first conversation that anthony might have told her that she had a slip disc so here the number three and number four plotters, one of whom was Stephanie's brother, were trying to figure out what was going on from the phone records, and they had no idea. They were essentially making up theories. Meanwhile, Stephanie had already been to the doctor at least two times at this point and was diagnosed with a disc injury by the doctor, not by Anthony. I think that when they had that first conversation, that Anthony might have told her that she had a slip disc. We think is what she said think that when they had that first conversation that Anthony might have told her that she had a slip disc. We think. And they took their incorrect theory about who diagnosed Stephanie's disc injury to a journalist and media outlet to be published. 
Here is another plotter spreading this false narrative, being even less careful with her word choice. Anthony told her that she had a slip disc from doing like yoga and Pilates in the same day. That was quick. Can we play that one again? Anthony told her that she had a slip disc from doing like yoga and Pilates in the same day. I want to point out here, this plotter is acknowledging both the yoga and Pilates, but wrongly states a W diagnosed Stephanie. In actuality, the doctor diagnosed Stephanie with an injured and slipped disc. This is how twisted and discombobulated the plotter stories are, and this is how false storylines are spread. Either this group is a group of poor researchers, or they're deliberately leaving out facts so as to paint a false narrative. The journalists left out very important facts as well, even though A.W.'s team presented these facts to him. One example from the article is that in all of the phone records and all of the mounds of evidence that exist to tell what actually happened, the journalist chooses this one. It says, quote, bro, I'm not doing good at all. Tizoni texted William in July 2017. Back in excruciating pain. It's been weeks, but way worse now. Sorry, sorry to bug you. Hours later, she wrote, thank you for your support. And yeah, think the stress you mentioned is financial stress. Praying for that to come to completion. I love you and I appreciate all you do for me. The article left out the fact that Stephanie had already been to the doctor for her back twice and then went again a third time after this call in which A.W. suggested she can go to the doctor again. The journalist is making it appear as though A.W. simply blamed her back issues on financial stress because it suits their narrative. On July 12th, we have text proof that shows my wife and I encouraged Stephanie to see a doctor for her back for a third time after Stephanie asked if she should. My wife responds with, quote, the Cairo sounds like a good idea. That same morning, I had a phone call with Stephanie. I tell her that she should go to the hospital and get an MRI. She told me she already went to the doctor twice for her back and that he said it was an injured disc. Stephanie was resistant and didn't want to go to the hospital and get an MRI. Stephanie had an appointment with a doctor the next morning, July 13th at 11 a.m., making that the third time she saw a doctor for her back injury within a month. This was in addition to the doctor that she told A.W. and his wife that she was seeing for her breast lump. I'm going to replay a recording of a live stream of the number one plotter spreading false information in 2020. So I think that they maybe dismiss a lot of what happened because like, well, Anthony told her to go see a doctor, but it's like, that's not what really happened. Yeah, that one's hard for me. I am such a truth teller. Like, honestly, to be able to like manipulate things like that just gets me fired up. Here. The number one plotter is using the classic truth teller phrase while she is saying something that is provably false. Anthony never told Steph to go to a doctor. He never, he never said to her like, do until she started bleeding from her nipples. He never said like, go to a doctor. Oh, I see. Um, after she started bleeding from her nipples, he did, he did say that, I think. 
This is the number one plotter, the number one source in the article under the pseudonym Sarah, and the originator of the false storyline about Stephanie that she published in 2020 and has continued on with, including taking it to a media company. In what you just heard, the number one plotter is claiming that A.W. never told Stephanie to see a doctor until after her nipple bled. And if you notice in the recording, she says, I think, meaning she thinks he told her to see a doctor after the nipple bled, like she's not even certain of that. And yet we've displayed proof that by July 2017, A.W. had already told Stephanie to see the doctor at least four times. And Stephanie had already been to the doctor at least two times. And Stephanie's nipple did not start bleeding until October 15th of that year. The media company was presented with all of the early doctor evidence, and they still left it out to suit both their narrative and the original plotter's narrative. On July 10th, Stephanie reached out to my wife and said she's treating what's going on with her back like shingles. Quote, um, yes, a huge halt. You're not kidding. So that's been hard. It's been most of June, but recently took a new turn and got real bad, so I'm treating it like shingles. Notice how Stephanie did not say, A.W. is treating me for shingles, or A.W. said it was shingles. It was our understanding that the doctor Stephanie had already seen twice for her back, or the doctor Stephanie was seeing for her breast lump diagnosed her with shingles. One week after Stephanie messaged my wife, Stephanie sends photos to me of a shingles rash on her back and her side. I respond five days later and reinforce the doctor's diagnoses. The plotter's article tried to paint it like it was A.W. diagnosing her with shingles, but it was actually her doctor that diagnosed her with shingles, and A.W. was just going along with her doctor's diagnosis. The article conveniently left out the early doctors that were involved in managing her care at that point because those details would not suit their narrative. Next, I'm going to read a text exchange between Stephanie and A.W.'s wife from August 10th. Stephanie texts, quote, Hey, renal detachment, question mark, requires medical intervention? A.W.'s wife responds by saying, quote, Do you mean renal or retinol? But either way, yeah, you would need to see a doctor. Are you guys noticing a theme here? This is now at least the sixth time that E.W. and his wife have told Stephanie to see a doctor. On August 25th, I had a brief phone call with Stephanie where she brought up her back and I asked her to fill in her doctors of what she was going through. I asked Stephanie if the doctor wanted her to get an MRI and she said, I don't know. I said, you should call him. I once again encouraged her to go to the emergency room if the pain gets bad. This is now at least the seventh time that A.W. and his wife have told Stephanie to see a doctor. Five days later, according to Stephanie, her back goes into severe spasm. Here is an audio message from Stephanie at 5.30 a.m. Hey, bro, this is really bad. I'm in a really bad position here. I don't know what's going on with my back, but it got like a thousand times worse. <laughs> this morning I tried to get out of bed just to pee early in the morning, like four. It was incredibly hard. And before my dad left for work, I said, can you just be here while I tried to pee one more time? And he was standing beside me and I just, everything was spasming and screaming and I had to fall over onto the bed and I got stuck and it was 
I was literally screaming, like, like blood-curdling, like, shocking screams because it wasn't calming down even once I laid. And it's just so bad. I had to fidget my way onto the floor. I just don't know what to do, and I'm really scared. Um, this voice message from Stephanie is really heartbreaking to listen to. She describes how she woke up in the morning, she got off her bed, and her back went into severe spasming. She screamed for her dad to help, fell down onto her mattress, fidgeted her way onto the floor, and got stuck there. I call Stephanie a few hours later and suggest once again going to the hospital or urgent care. Stephanie declines, so I tell her to at least call her doctor. Stephanie says she doesn't want to go to urgent care, but she'll call her doctor. And here is Stephanie describing what her doctor recommends. So my chiropractor called me, and his recommendation was an anti-inflammatory, you know, whether I can go to, like, a family doctor or to an urgent care. He said he sells something that's, he said, if you'd rather go the natural route, I forget the name of it, I'm going to find out. He's going to call me back. But I told him I'm already taking curcumin. Maybe I should up that dose. I'm only taking two twice a day right now. I don't know. And he's said 10, what is it? I don't know, Ten something, he said. Ten, they do MRIs, and he was saying that um, that's what he would recommend. Um, and he's finding out how much it's going to cost for me. He said, "I'll call." So I don't know if that's something you would think I should do. And plus, I'd have to go there. I don't even know how that's going to happen right now. His other recommendation for right now is to ice the hell out of it and to do McKenzie exercises, where you lay on your stomach and go on your elbows and just like look up, like you're looking at a TV. So what I want to point out here is that Stephanie's doctor, Dr. is recommending that she get an MRI and that she takes an anti-inflammatory. Dr. also prescribed, quote, icing the hell out of it without any parameters or direction, which led to Stephanie being on the floor, packed in ice, constantly going into the shivers and the shakes. Stephanie voices her concern of how she is going to get off the floor and get out to do an MRI. Next, we will hear an audio text from Anthony. And they think your uh, your other chiropractor needs to order an MRI or order something, and if he had the two, or or help you give you more direction on that too. What you just heard was a W supporting the MRI that the doctor prescribed, which reinforces what a W originally told Stephanie since the beginning of her back injury, which was to call her doctor and get an MRI. Next, Stephanie got a second opinion from another doctor, and this doctor also recommended an MRI and to go to the hospital. I just got off the phone with that went well. She wants me to get an MRI and um, get signed a DO to do like cranial sacral work and Stephanie did not go, and Stephanie's family, her friends, did not take her to the emergency room or to urgent care or call 911 for emergency services to take her to the hospital 
even though two doctors recommended for her to go to urgent care and also to get an MRI. This next recording is Stephanie saying she is stuck on the floor because of her back problem. My only thing now is, oh my God, like how am I going to physically get out? <sighs> Can we hear that again? My only thing now is, oh my God, like how am I going to physically get out? <sighs> At this point, Stephanie is saying she got stuck on the floor and couldn't get up. Clearly, A.W. was the one who was telling her to go to the doctor, etc. He did not tell her to lie flat on the floor. She got stuck on the floor because of her back issues. A.W. responded with, Well, you know, you might, not be, you might not be able to leave the house for a little while. You know, might not be happening. And if it's, you know, so, 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 so bad, then, you know, I have to get a stretcher in there and take you to the hospital for an MRI. But yeah, getting you good enough to get an MRI, I'm totally on board with that. I didn't want Steph to think that she was out of options. So I reminded her she could even call emergency and get a stretcher in there to take her to the hospital. Stephanie ends up tragically getting stuck on the floor for a long time. The plotters have tried to say that Stephanie was on the floor for so long because A.W. told her to lie flat on the floor and to lie incredibly still when that's far from the truth. The number one plotter's blog post from 2020 states, quote, In the spring of 2017, her back began to ache. We talked a little bit during her back injury. She told me Anthony said it was a yoga injury. I really don't remember hurting it in yoga, she said. But Anthony was clear. He advised her to lay incredibly still. Here is evidence of other plotters perpetuating the same falsity. Bottom line was, he told her she needed to lie, lay flat and not move. He'd been through this before, it would heal. She spent eight months thinking that all she had to do was just lay around and it would heal. So with the lump, did she, and even with, with the disc or whatever that was, did she ever see a doctor? Well, we're, I'm getting to that. Okay. The answer is no. The answer is no because Anthony told her she needed to lay flat. The answer is would, no because she trusted Anthony she, all along the way. Like, yeah, 100%. Like, In reality, again, Stephanie was stuck on the floor because of her back issues. Hey, bro, this is really bad. I'm in a really bad position here. I don't know what's going on with my back, but it got like a thousand times worse. Uh, this morning I tried to get out of bed just to pee early in the morning at four. It was incredibly hard. And before my dad left for work, I said, can you just be here while I tried to pee one more time? And he was standing beside me and I just, it, everything was spasming and screaming and I had to fall over onto the bed and I got stuck and it was, I was literally screaming, like, like blood curdling, like shocking screams because it wasn't calming down even once I laid. And it's just so bad. I had to fidget my way onto the floor. I just don't know what to do, and I'm really scared. And the fear of the pain getting, you know, intense. That's why I've stayed so still. So you're stuck on the floor right now? Is that what it is? Yeah, I'm still stuck on the floor, but now I'm not lying flat like I was 
since 5.30 this morning. I'm on this really weird angle. I, I pushed all these blankets and pillows towards my bed to like for leverage to get me up and step by step, but it's just not happening. Um, and then I would put heat on if it, if it spasmed out, but I'm just so afraid to get up. It's, uh, I can't push through it either because then it'll just go crazy and I'll scream and I'll probably fall back down. So it's really hard to explain. And, you know, everyone keeps saying, oh, well, let me, and that, my dad and I had Taylor on the phone and they're both like, well, can't he just pull you up? No, it's like, I feel like I can't explain it. Like I have to be the one in charge of the leverage and each step. And I don't know how to do it otherwise. And I and I have to go to the bathroom, so I don't know what what's happening here. And yeah, this is gonna be bed tonight, I think. Just the floor next to the bed. I, I can't do it. I gotta just stay down here. Um I don't know. Yeah, this is where I need to stay. Is your is your heart on your back to be on the floor? Is it killing your back to be on the floor? Are you okay? You know, do you uh, have enough blankets? Are you gonna be able to do it? Uh, I just feel terrible for you, kiddo. If you gotta be on the floor. Oh, I'm trying to stay calm. I feel really trapped right now in this position on the floor like this with the pain, and I need to poop, and I can't get up, and I'm just. I kind of feel like I'm going to lose it. <sighs> Trying to stay calm because I know if I lose it, then the pain just... The me crying and breathing heavy makes the spasms get bigger. So I know I need to stay calm and just pray. Oh. Well, Steph, I mean, there's no way we can get you off the floor somehow at all, you think? In these audio messages, it is clear that Stephanie can't get off the floor. She is trapped and has to stay still so that she doesn't have additional spasms causing severe pain. She feels like she can't even be pulled off the floor because she has no leverage. Stephanie expressed that why she stayed so still is because of the pain and spasms, not because A.W. told her to. This is hard to listen to. I remember it well, and you can hear it in my voice because I was really, really worried. I was highly concerned. I felt so bad for her. And during this time, Stephanie's family and friends were not getting Stephanie to the hospital. And I kept on asking myself, like, why? And I was awakening to this and trying to be supportive in whatever decisions Stephanie and her family were making. Even though Stephanie chose not to go to the hospital earlier that day, I still recommended once again a stretcher to come in and take her to the hospital so she didn't feel like she had no choices. Steph was on the floor going into spasms, afraid to move. She had to stay calm or she went into more severe spasms and pain. And it was clear she wasn't going anywhere that night and wasn't going to the hospital. So I continued to support her emotionally through audio messages the entire night going back and forth, back and forth. So now we need to explain another layer of this story. There is a woman, one of the plotters, 
who was handling Stephanie's care and making a lot of her decisions. I think it's interesting that she was completely left out of the article when she played such a critical role in both caring for Stephanie and making her healthcare decisions. Well, there is no known mention of anyone that is a caretaker or best friend of Stephanie's that was guiding her on choices of doctors, choices of care and direction that often conflicted with getting Stephanie the MRI the doctors and myself were hoping she would get. Here is one example of Stephanie's best friend and plotting caretaker helping her make decisions. Here is the caretaker choosing which doctor prescribed anti-inflammatory Stephanie should take. Yeah, the anti-inflammatory. So he was recommending, there's a brand called Anabolic Labs that he sells. So he said, if you don't want to, you know, if you want to do the natural thing because he knows how I am, he said, I sell, because, you know, he was telling me to go to my family doctor or to urgent care and get an anti-inflammatory. Or he said, you can come to the office and buy, um, he's two. One's called Zymane and the other is Nutridisc. And Taylor looked it up for me. Zymane has milk in it, which I don't like. And the Nutridisc has, um, I guess, trace amounts of, like, soy and shellfish. But um, I think they both use enzymes or something. So Taylor said to me, well, because she looked it up, she said, the Nutridisc definitely seems better. The evidence shows that A.W. constantly advocated for doctors and or emergency services all throughout this, including during this time. This prompted, at a certain point, Stephanie's caretaker and best friend to contact who Stephanie and A.W. believed to be a medical doctor. This person who A.W. and Stephanie believed to be a medical doctor was also purporting to be a viral specialist, which led A.W. to believe he was a virologist and epidemiologist as well. This is a text from Stephanie to A.W.'s wife. It reads, quote, this is also interesting. He talks all about viruses, which is cool since Ant does. According to Dr. T, viruses have an innate wisdom to hide in parts of the body where they can avoid the immune system. When Stephanie received this new doctor's treatment, the plotting caretaker said this. And Taylor was saying that, yeah, she hopes that it makes it so I don't even have to have an MRI. Can we hear that one again? And Taylor was saying that, yeah, she hopes that it makes it so I don't even have to have an MRI. So the plotting caretaker now decided that Stephanie did not need an MRI. And then it was later discovered that Dr. T is not, in fact, a medical doctor. He is an aerospace engineer. Let me say that again. He is an aerospace engineer. A.W. spent that whole day and the night before trying to support Stephanie into getting an MRI that the doctors wanted. Stephanie's plotting caretaker, however, is hoping that Stephanie does not have to get an MRI after the doctor, we later found out, is an aerospace engineer, worked on Stephanie. Stephanie even addressed him as doctor. And at the time, I had no reason to believe otherwise, being that I was constantly asking Stephanie to see medical doctors and to go to the hospital. I was certain this had to be a medical doctor. Next. On September 4th, we have more evidence of the involvement of actual doctors. My chiropractor, when I was on the phone with him a few days ago, I had to sneeze. And I said, oh, oh hold on, hold on, I got to sneeze. And he said to me, did you just hold that in? And I said, yeah. And he said, never hold a sneeze in. 
here I am assuming that Stephanie is filling in her doctor on her health update in history and that the doctor is sending her for an MRI. And Stephanie is talking to her doctor about holding sneezes in or not. All I've heard you and I say, Anthony, thus far is doctor, 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 doctor. We have all the evidence, and this grossly contrasts the number one plotter's original story in which she claimed that there were no doctors involved up until Stephanie's nipple bled later on. On October 7th, A.W. told Stephanie three times that night that she needed to see a doctor or get one to the house, and two times to go to the emergency room. Here's one text. A.W. says, quote, Think we will find a doctor to come to the house. Let's look tomorrow. One may come, do a little blood work. Why don't we look tomorrow? Stay cool. And another, A.W. says, quote, Light heart. If you get so bad and can't breathe, you can always call emergency. Even though I believe Stephanie has at least five doctors involved at this point, and maybe more, I'm still concerned that she may not be getting the help that she needs. And I tell Stephanie, we should get a doctor to come to the house and do some testing. I start growing concerned that the family never took Stephanie to the hospital. And this mattered to me because it's almost midnight now on top of it. By the morning, Stephanie's plotting caretaker chose a doctor for her who was able to talk to Stephanie by 11.27 a.m. Here's a text from Stephanie that says, quote, Taylor has a friend, Dr. B. I spoke with this morning, and this is who she is and what she is recommending me to do. It will have to be three different practitioners because few doctors know all of them. So now I'm under the impression that Stephanie will not have one more new doctor, but instead four new medical doctors on top of the other doctors she had been working with already. These four new medical doctors were the result of me advocating for a doctor to come to the house or to get emergency services. I want to point out something that I found to be disturbing about the plotting caretaker's recollection of this. Anthony, he said, well, you could have, if you, as long as you just have somebody come in, like, you can't have somebody come in. This isn't the fucking 30s. The plotting caretaker is acting like it was so hard as she explained this story to me, but in reality, she had this doctor involved the next morning. She was acting like A.W. was suggesting something so outlandish. And if it were really so hard to get a doctor to the, to the house, then they should have had emergency services come with a stretcher to help Stephanie get to the hospital, like A.W. had suggested numerous times previously. Stephanie was sold the belief that this doctor friend of the plotting caretaker was a miracle worker. She texted me, quote, Taylor said people who can't walk or get into Dr. B's office without being carried in leave walking. What was happening is that Stephanie was avoiding proper medical care. She said, quote, I don't have a good feeling about a doctor about having a doctor come here to draw blood. They will want me to go to the hospital, and I'm sure, and that doesn't work for me for two reasons. One, I don't have health insurance. Two, I don't want to get trapped and fall down the rabbit hole. It feels scary. Stephanie knew that she needed to go to the hospital, it seems. 
The article conveniently left out that part of this text because it shows that Stephanie was avoiding care despite the fact that A.W. was consistently advising her to go to the hospital. Sharing the full truth about this would not have suited their narrative. We have proof that Stephanie had at least four doctors coming in and out of her house at this point. They left that out of the article because it would not support their narrative. The plotters left that out of the story they were trying to tell me in their recruitment speeches. Dr. B gave Stephanie a two-hour assessment and examination and was constantly doing consults with her. Dr. B oversaw sending at least three other doctors to Stephanie's house. I want to point out here that AW will not go against doctors' diagnoses, opinions, prescribed recommendations, assessments, or courses of treatment. At all times, AW supported and reinforced doctors' diagnoses and their recommendations and techniques. AW thought they were doing health assessments on Stephanie and taking care of the breast lump and whatever else. Here is a text from Stephanie on October 21st. It says, quote, New Cairo is coming tomorrow, and Dr. B wants to know if it's okay to work on my breast tissue. She has a technique that can open up and help release the swelling and pressure. Then, on October 15th, Stephanie's nipple starts bleeding on the same breast as the cyst. Here is the text message from Stephanie. It says, quote, What do you think about me bleeding from my left nipple on same breast as cyst? Anthony replies, quote, I'm not liking that at all. The very day that the nipple was bleeding, there was a doctor there at the house. And there was a doctor there the next day as well. We have so much evidence of all these doctors going in and out of her house and physically working on her during this time. The doctors were in charge of Stephanie's care. I had no business interfering at all. I did not know these doctors either, who they were personally. I didn't have any relationships with them. Here is a voice text on October 13th from Stephanie. I also wanted to let you know that um, Dr. found a chiropractor that does the exact things that she does. And she's really close to me. So she's coming to the house today after two o'clock. And here is a text from Stephanie on October 13th that says, quote, Cairo woman in on her way here now. She said time spent here today might just be figuring out what she will do for me. A.W. replies, awesome, she's coming. Here is another text from Stephanie, quote, she assessed me with lots of good questions, felt around my back, said it in my neck, we're really out of whack. That I think what were some mild adjustments with a tool on my neck and back said felt like had ribs out, went over identifying lots of emotions that are held on my back. Also, she felt my low lumbar through my stomach. Again, we have so much evidence of so many doctors involved and in and out of her house daily at this point. These are all doctors that the plotting caretaker selected. They were not sending her to a specialist or an oncologist. They were not suggesting mammograms or thermography or biopsies or ultrasounds. While A.W. said specifically, quote, might have to get that breast looked at under ultrasound and other. Can't fuck around with that. 
Stephanie says, quote, my intuition all along about it since it began in March wasn't feeling good. Anthony says, have to keep a close eye on that. Stephanie says, haven't even told my dad these new discoveries. He would get so scared as his sister had breast cancer. Anthony says, quote, can't let that go without care. Here is another text from Stephanie after AW continuously encouraged her to get blood work for her doctors. It says, quote, yes, I know what you mean. You're right as long as results aren't too bad or scary. At this point, I started getting highly concerned that there are other factors involved here. Here is another example of doctors in Stephanie's home in October. This text says, quote, haven't gotten up yet today. New Cairo guy came yesterday. He cracked my back, which super locked up, causing headaches and feels better now. Also cracked back. Very little so as to be gentle. Front left ribs just under breast towards side body, really, really painful as if they are cracked. Stephanie is explaining that she has been physically worked on by a doctor eight days after her nipple bled. At this point in the story, the nipple just started bleeding, and we have evidence of how many instances in which I encourage Stephanie to go to a medical doctor. All I continue to hear myself say constantly is doctor, 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 doctor. And yet, I need to point out that in the number one plotter's original story three years ago that started this mess, she claimed that I never suggested a doctor's intervention until after the nipple started bleeding. That time stuff was just so bad. And I think Anthony had started telling people, I told her to go see a doctor, you know, because he did at the very end. So I think that they maybe dismiss a lot of what happened because like, well, Anthony told her to go see a doctor, but it's like, that's not what really happened. Yeah, that one's hard for me. I am such a truth teller. Like, honestly, to be able to like manipulate things like that just gets me fired up. Anthony never told Steph to go to a doctor. He never, he never said to her like, do until she started bleeding from her nipples. He never said oh. like, go to a doctor. Oh, I see. Um, at, at, after she started bleeding from her nipples, he did. He did say that. I think. We just listened to the number one plotter saying, first of all, she's saying nipples as if it's plural when really it was just one nipple that bled. She got that wrong. We also listened to her saying that A.W. never told Stephanie to go or see a doctor until she started bleeding from her nipple. As you can see from our evidence, that is completely false. Now, another layer to explain is in the handling of Stephanie's care that has been left out of the plotter's story and out of the article. Here is an audio about the plotting caretaker. Taylor... Goodness, she's so pushy. Can we repeat that? Taylor, goodness, she's so pushy. In Stephanie's own words, the plotting caretaker was so pushy, and she was the one in charge of selecting the doctors, including the aerospace engineer that Stephanie believed to be a medical doctor. This was never mentioned in the number one plotter's original story, and this was never mentioned in the article. This caretaker was either anonymous in the article as a source or not in the article at all. Meanwhile, she played one of the largest roles in all of Stephanie's healthcare. 
Here is another recording. Um, no one else in my family goes to the doctor, so. Uh, Can we play that again? Um, no one else in my family goes to the doctor, so. Uh, this is Stephanie saying in her own words that her family resists going to medical doctors, highlighting the fact that avoiding medical care is a pattern that was established long before the situation and long before Stephanie had ever heard of medical medium. My brother called, but uh, we were going to call the family doctor I had growing up. Because no one else in my family goes to the doctor, so uh, I could ask him to write it. Uh, I just have to know exactly which test. Later, it was confirmed that Stephanie and her brother got the family doctor to write a script. Here is a text from Stephanie saying, quote, Just want to make sure you know I don't have a doc that's overseeing all this. Just a mishmash of random people. Last blood test, I called childhood doc to write a script, and he did it but was uncomfortable doing so without seeing me, but still did it all, even called with results, and wanted me to speak to specialists. I just told him I'll stay in touch. Just don't trust him. I don't like him really as a doc. I don't know what the protocols are for writing a blood script here or what this doctor could or could not do. All I know is what Steph texted me here. Next, we have a text from Stephanie on October 21st that says, quote, haven't even told my dad these new discoveries he would get so scared as his sister had breast cancer. And here's a recording of the plotting caretaker. Um, so anyways, there was Stephanie in her dad's house. I was the only person that, you know, was supporting her during that. She didn't want her family to know anything was wrong because then they'd take her to the hospital and get him an MRI. Can we hear that one again? Um, so anyways, there was Stephanie in her dad's house. I was the only person that, you know, was supporting her during that. She didn't want her family to know anything was wrong because then they'd take her to the hospital and get him an MRI. The plotting caretaker is saying that Stephanie did not want her family to know anything was wrong because then they would take her to the hospital to get her an MRI. And here's a text from Stephanie to AW on October 24th. It reads, quote, It sucks I can't get out to go do thermography and ultrasound since I'm not telling my dad right now. Stephanie sent a text to AW's wife on October 25th saying, quote, my biggest concern at the moment is my breast and how I'm going to get to the thermogram office. My dad doesn't know anything about it. It will put him into major stress mode and that much more worried. And here is a text in which Stephanie admits she wasn't telling her dad what was going on. She says, quote, I have to get a thermogram tomorrow, which will be the first time I leave my house. So I'm nervous all around. And on top of that, my dad will take me, and I lied to him that it's imaging for back, and to find a reason for throwing up so much. He had prostate cancer, and his sister had breast, so he will really go over the top if he knew this right now. Here is another text from Stephanie on November 16th, where she says, quote, Can't talk out loud about this, because my dad is downstairs and can hear me. Gotta get a handle on any of it before I talk to him about it. Here is another text from Stephanie that says, quote, Do you think it's a good idea to tell my dad I'm going to have rib stomach area looked at? If I tell him all the detailed truth, he might lose it. 
Anthony replies, quote, Steph, I don't know. It's your pops. Only you got the answer. The whole situation is tragic. All these texts and communications show that Stephanie wasn't getting the care I hoped and told her to get. And a big reason, maybe the biggest reason, she wasn't doing what I told her to do and what I hoped she would do was that she was so worried about telling her family and the truth of telling them what was going on. She was trying to figure out how to get in front of a medical doctor about her breast without her dad knowing, and she was afraid to go to the hospital, in part because she didn't have health insurance and was worried about the financial aspect as well. This is really the crux of the issue, and yet none of this was in the article. These are also dynamics that A.W. had no control over, beyond saying over and over again that she should get medical treatment. Then on October 23rd, my wife and I found out for the first time what kind of terrible conditions and dire situation Stephanie had been living in. Before this, all A.W. and his wife knew was that Stephanie had to lay on the floor for a long period of time because her back was so bad. They didn't know that that was her only option. Here is a text thread from Stephanie and A.W.'s wife in which Stephanie said, quote, Do you like this company's blankets for beds? Mine are dead. Been using an old duvet to cover me, but it's getting colder out. Anthony's wife replies, Yes, I love their blankets and duvets. I'll get you one of those as well. Anything else you need, sheets, pillows, do you want a reading pillow and a wedge or just the wedge? What size is your bed? Stephanie says, oh, cool. Yes, I do need sheets. I literally have a sad bedding situation of only one fitted sheet from 20 years ago. That's so embarrassing. As far as a regular pillow goes, I can use all the time. I don't have either. I think wedge and reading pillow in case one is more supportive. I have a twin mattress directly on the floor, no box spring, etc." Anthony's wife says, Steph, I'm thinking you need a new mattress. The one you have can't be helping your situation. Are you okay if I get you a new one? Stephanie says, oh my, that's too much. You're right, this one is a chemical one I've had all my life. Anthony's wife says, also, I want to get you a simple frame to get it off the floor. It has to be off the floor with a back injury like you have. Stephanie says, I would love to throw this one away. Anthony's wife replies, awesome, let's do this. And Stephanie says, you're making me cry. This is so great. My feet hang over bottom of bed. I just want to summarize the situation Stephanie was living in. Um, she was on an old childhood twin-size mattress on the floor. Stephanie was 37 years old at this time, which means the mattress was nearly 40 years old. She had no box spring. She had no bed frame. She had a fitted sheet from 20 years ago. She described her blankets as being dead. Quote, she doesn't have regular pillows. Her feet are hanging over the bottom of the bed on the floor. This sounds to me like it was the worst possible situation for her back, especially, and for her overall health. When my wife and I found out about Steph being on the floor for almost six months, we were devastated. It was awful. I noticed that the article makes it seem that Steph 
and I were constantly in contact for years. And through this time, Stephanie was very ill. But that's not accurate. There were lots of gaps in time lapse. I had a lot going on. You know, Amber, we have a witness that knows one of the plotters who was there seeing Stephanie on the floor with clumps of dust in her hair. And a doctor in late October diagnosed Stephanie with a dust allergy and said she needed to get her room cleaned. And the house cleaned. There was too much dust everywhere. This lines up to the witness who earlier saw Stephanie laying on the floor with clumps of dust on her body and head. It's um, it's just it's really, really sad. And um, here's a text from Stephanie to Anthony's wife that says, quote, Cairo yesterday said, I'm showing up very sensitive to dust and said my room has to be cleaned really well. Stephanie's tragic living situation was left out of the article. Like many other things, we have many recordings of Stephanie describing a very disturbing living situation that out of respect for Stephanie, we are not going to release today. A.W. realized that this was a situation Stephanie had been living in all this time for over five months. Doctors were coming into the house all throughout this time, examining and assessing Stephanie and working on her while Stephanie was on a 40-year-old twin-size mattress on the floor with her feet hanging off of it. Anthony did not know because he was not there in person and he was not handling her care. He wasn't her health consultant. He was not spying on her. He was under the impression that she was under the care of her doctors and was constantly trying to get Stephanie to get care from her doctors. The doctors all saw the conditions that Stephanie was living in, and apparently no one thought to try to address that. If they did, A.W. was not informed. A back problem, laying on a mattress like that, that's one to one and a half feet off the floor, means having to push yourself up off the floor to get up and then fall back down on the mattress from standing to get back down. This should have been quickly identified and rectified by anyone who was witnessing this in person for over five months now while Stephanie is suffering with serious back issues. She has been stuck on the floor in these conditions. And now it's starting to make sense as to why Stephanie couldn't get up with her back injury. She had no leverage and Stephanie had to push herself up off the floor in order to get up instead of being able to gently sit up, to be able to pivot, to have your feet touch the floor and to gradually get up and stand with a bed that's already 30 plus inches off the ground. If Stephanie did try to get up, that would mean falling down essentially, onto the floor multiple times per day, which is a significant amount of impact for someone with a serious back injury. After Anthony realized all of this, he and his wife were beyond alarmed and immediately took action. They bought Stephanie a new mattress, a new bed frame, organic sheets, pillows, a mattress pad, a mattress cover, and a duvet. Here is a text from Stephanie to A.W.'s wife after she got the new bed. It says, quote, you're magically amazing. Gosh, my heart. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it beyond beyond. Thank you. Yes, can't wait to get in a bed. A nice, clean, fresh bed. Wow. Anthony's wife replies, yes. Oh my goodness. Aunt and I can't stop talking about it. We had no idea you were on an older mattress on the floor. You poor girl. No wonder why you've had it so hard. Now, after 
getting the new bed, Stephanie went from not being able to walk, being completely bedridden, being barely able to get up off the ground, to then walking shortly after she got the new bed. It made life so much easier because instead of needing to use her muscles and, and a lot of energy, et cetera, to peel herself up off the floor, she was practically standing when she put her legs over the side of the bed. Within one week after getting the new bed, she was walking, and this meant that she was able to walk up a 20-step staircase to finally get to the doctor for testing. She was also able to finally go to the bathroom normally and not on the floor. Here is a recording of Stephanie's plotting caretaker describing the situation before the new bed. Stephanie was in so much pain, she had to crawl to the bathroom and she, the bedroom she was in was up, you know, a whole flight of steps. She couldn't walk down the steps. Can we hear that again? Stephanie was in so much pain, she had to crawl to the bathroom and she, the bedroom she was in was up, you know, a whole flight of steps. She couldn't walk down the steps. Notice here, she says that Stephanie could not walk down the stairs in her house and that she was crawling to the bathroom. Here is a text in which Stephanie describes how things improved after the new bed. A.W.'s wife says, quote, getting out of bed with it being higher up will be easier on your back injury. Stephanie says, yes, it's so much easier as when I get up, I'm practically standing. Anthony says, is it easier getting off the bed to the bathroom and back? Is bed comfortable enough on the back? Stephanie says, yes, as soon as I put my legs over the side, I can stand right away. I love that. This was a really pivotal moment for Stephanie. She went from over five months of being trapped on the floor to her new supportive lifted bed that she could now put her legs over the edge of and be practically standing. This is the thing that allowed her to finally get out of her house, down the, her steps, and go to the doctor. Here is Stephanie a week after getting her new bed, climbing upstairs to see a doctor. She says, quote, got thermogram done today on breasts. On November 2nd, she said in another text, quote, oh gosh, today I even had to climb 20 steps and the place inside was like a maze. Interestingly, the plotters have had some really surprisingly negative things to say about this new bed that need to be addressed. Bottom line is, around then, that's when she started having blood come out of her nipples. So now we're maybe like three weeks into her laying on the floor. You can't lay on the floor. I'll buy you a mattress. He bought her, so he bought her a mattress. I mean, it's like, are you fucking kidding me? So he gets her a mattress. Can we hear that one again? Bottom line is, around then, that's when she started having blood come out of her nipples. So now we're maybe like three weeks into her laying on the floor. You can't lay on the floor. I'll buy you a mattress. He bought her, so he bought her a mattress. I mean, it's like, are you fucking kidding me? So he gets her a mattress. First of all, Stephanie was stuck on the floor for over five months not three weeks. Second of all, A.W. and his wife did not just get her a new mattress. They got her a bed frame, a mattress, a duvet, sheets, pillows, etc., because the point was to get her up off the floor, which, as we previously explained, was what made the biggest difference in finally getting her to go in to see a doctor. Next, we have a recording of the number one plotter, 
with similar sentiments? I mean, oh, like Anthony, to me, one of the most incriminating things is like Anthony sending Stephanie a new mattress. Like, it's such a picture of the whole scenario to me, Amber, because it's like, he bought her a freaking mattress. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't send my friends mattresses when their backs hurt. Like, that's like so decent of him. And Stephanie was broke. He would send her supplements and stuff. Like, that's so decent of him. Again, it was not just a mattress. It was a bed frame and everything else because the point was to get her up off the floor. This number one plotter is saying that it's incriminating. Incriminating. She's saying it like, like, why would you buy her a bed? And I mean, when you're a kind, decent person and you realize that somebody's been suffering, you, you buy somebody a bed who's, when you realize that they've been living on the floor for over five months with a major back injury, with dust collecting in their hair, somebody who's been in pain pushing themselves up off the floor or crawling to the bathroom. Regardless of what the doctor said or didn't say about Steph's back or condition, it wasn't about that at this point in time. It was critical to get Steph off the floor. Action had to be taken immediately when we found out. Stephanie was in a tragic situation. She was on a tiny twin-sized mattress, a childhood mattress, nearly 40 years old with her feet hanging off, no bed frame, no box spring, clumps of dust in her hair and on her body, no leverage to push herself off the floor, and she had to crawl to the bathroom on a good day. Some days, couldn't make it to the bathroom. It's beyond heartbreaking, really, and these are details that were never mentioned to me in the plotter stories. Anthony... Did the article mention that Stephanie was stuck on a nearly 40-year-old mattress on the floor with no box spring and no bed frame with her feet hanging off the bottom? No. Did the article mention that Stephanie was diagnosed with a dust allergy because the room needed to be cleaned? No, not mentioned at all. Did the article mention that the action that you and your wife took immediately is what made all the difference in Stephanie finally being able to make it out to go to the doctor to get medical testing? No. Did the article mention how Stephanie was in chronic spasms on the floor because her bed was so uncomfortable that she preferred laying on the floor propped up with towels in agony? No. Did the article say that she was on the floor as doctors were going in and out of her room and working on her and adjusting her back and neck? No. At this point... I spend the next several weeks continuously encouraging a resistant Stephanie to get more testing and to follow her doctor's orders like I had been doing this whole time. In December 2017, Stephanie finally goes to the hospital and she was diagnosed with cancer. She went through conventional cancer treatment for a long time. The article completely left out the fact that Stephanie had conventional cancer treatment for almost a year. They tried to paint it like she was a medical medium devotee, like she had been applying all the information, and then she died of cancer. But here are some recordings from two of the plotters describing the conventional treatment she did receive. Because Steph really, 
went all in with conventional treatment. She was getting radiation. She was taking like eye brands, which is a chemo drug, and like she was doing everything. And I mean, she went through just test after test of radiation after radiation. Every kind of treatment on the planet she would never have wanted in her entire life. They, she finally left the hospital ravaged um, and was sent home. But it was like impossible, especially mm-hmm. like Steph didn't have, she had like real shitty insurance and no money and just like is different when you're in that situation and you're at a shitty hospital with shitty doctors, you know. It's extremely saddening that Stephanie's worst fears came true because she didn't get the care that she needed for so long. Despite A.W.'s early attempts encouraging her to go to the doctor and to be proactive. Next, there is a really important point that needs to be addressed. In the number one plotter's original story, she had stated that A.W. Told, had told Stephanie that her breast lump could never become cancerous. That is incorrect. So I wish, I wish when she was staying with us and she first found that she had a lump in her breast, I wish I had said to her, go get that checked. You definitely need to go get that checked. I mean, that's a big regret of mine. Like, why didn't I say that? Um, but she was so sure, you know, Anthony said, this isn't going to turn into anything. I'm not worried about it. And honestly, she was so. And here is an excerpt from that number one plotters blog post that says, quote, At the time that she was living with us, Steph had recently found a small lump in her breast. She wasn't concerned, though. She told me that Anthony said it wasn't cancerous and it wouldn't turn into anything. We have already established that Stephanie did not discover her breast lump while temporarily staying nights with this plotter in early 2016. But instead, Stephanie discovered the breast lump a year later on March 6th of 2017. Anthony told her at this point to see a physician. He did not tell her that it could not become cancerous. However, here are recordings of the other plotters regurgitating the number one plotter's original false storyline from 2020. I guess she had told him before about this lump that she had in her breast, and he told her it was a cyst or that it was Epstein-Barr, something like that, and that it was never going to turn into breast cancer. Well, Seth had the BRCA2 gene. So with the lump, did she, and even with, with the disc or whatever that was, did she ever see a doctor? Well, we're, I'm getting to that. Okay. The answer is no, because Anthony told her she needed to lay flat. The answer is no, because she trusted Anthony all along the way. Like, yeah, hundred percent. She had already had a lump in her breast and Anthony told her that it was nothing. Don't worry about it. It's just a cyst or something. Mm-hmm. So she didn't worry about it. You know, he told her multiple times that it wasn't cancer, and it was. He told her not to go get her MRI even after she seizured and went into a coma. Again, Anthony never said that the breast lump could not or would not become cancerous. Anthony never told Stephanie not to get an MRI. He explicitly told Stephanie to get an MRI and supported Stephanie's doctor's recommendations for getting an MRI. Here is another excerpt from the number one plotter's original live from 2020. And if he did, and he told her at some point that this was never going to be cancerous, to me, that's pretty evil, right? Like, 
it's one thing to know information about somebody and it's another to like lead them in completely the wrong direction, right? I'm referring to like when he told Steph like the lump in her breast was never going to turn cancerous. Someone asked This is how false storylines spread and cause harm. It's true and they have caused harm. One of the plotters main claims is that Anthony abandoned Stephanie at the end of her life. The last thing I would do is abandon Stephanie, but they have weaponized abandonment. It's a strategy they're using. It tugs on the heartstring of people who have been hurt before by someone else. So when they hear this, it hits everyone in the gut. If they have been betrayed, abused, or abandoned, they instantly get upset when they hear it. It's an emotional, psychological bait and switch, but it's not the reality of what actually happened. For those who really want to know, here's what really happened. My wife and I offered the Sony family through Stephanie's plotting caretaker up to $50,000 so that Stephanie could get the cancer care of her choice. I was told the family turned it down and wanted nothing to do with me and for me to stay away. And our mother's like, fuck Anthony. You know, obviously we're done with him. So I was in this very challenging place because they wanted her to have nothing more to do with him. Can we play that again? And our mother's like, fuck Anthony. You know, obviously we're done with him. So I was in this very challenging place because they wanted her to have nothing more to do with him. And remember, this is from the voice of the very person who was in charge of Stephanie's care at the time. I was told that the family, specifically Stephanie's brother, took Stephanie's phone away. And Stephanie was a prolific texter and audio messenger. Normally, nothing would stop her from reaching out very consistently even when I hadn't had a chance to respond. And then all of a sudden, communication completely stopped. Here is a recording from the plotters. Steph loved to send audio recordings. Love to. Can we hear that one again too? Steph loved to send audio recordings. Love to. Think about that. The plotters agree. Steph loved to send audio recordings. The article agrees that Steph was a prolific audio texter. She sent me and others hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of audio messages in the summer and fall of 2017. And suddenly, after she was diagnosed with cancer, she never sent me a single audio message again. Something was preventing Steph from communicating with me. And I not only had to respect that, but I wasn't sure who I would have been communicating with if I did. I did not abandon her. She was prevented from reaching out to me, and out of respect, I was honoring the family's wishes. What the family told Stephanie, I do not know. And after Stephanie went to the hospital in December of 2017, she lived almost another year until November 13th, 2018. Stephanie deserves better than this. Better than the army of trolls screaming bloody murder. 
a hate campaign brought on artificially by a small group of people who want nothing more than to take down a health movement that is changing the world. This was a tragic situation. Watching Stephanie's name, memory, and legacy being trashed and exploited just for sport. I have been trying to protect Stephanie's memory and to not exploit her all these years, even though I endured the hits of a false narrative being peddled around the global health communities. My team fought very hard to protect Stephanie's name and memory. What would Stephanie have wanted? Does anybody know? We hope someday everybody will just let Stephanie rest in peace.